Welcome to Roadcase, the podcast that explores the live music experience. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Josh Rosenberg, and I'll be taking you on a journey through in-depth interviews with performers and key people in the industry to explore the magic of live music, how it can be totally transformative for both fans and performers, and we'll look at how they take it all out on the road. It's going to be a great ride, so here we go. Okay, welcome back to Roadcase, everybody. I'm your host, Josh Rosenberg. I am so psyched to be here for this episode with Saida Blunt from Sonos. Uh, if you're here for the first time to listen to Saida, welcome to the Roadcase community. If you are a regular and longtime listener to Roadcase, I really appreciate your support. Thank you so much, and I'm so happy to have you back. Uh, as I'd like to do for every episode, I want to remind everybody that there's a number of different ways that you can uh, help support Roadcase. Uh, first is really easy method is to follow us on the socials. We're at Roadcase Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, you can also email me. I'm at info at roadcasepod.com with your questions, concerns, suggestions for guests, anything you'd like. Promise I'll get back to you. Uh, if you want to find out more information about the show, we also have a website. We're at www.roadcasepod.com. Uh, another great way to support Roadcase is to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite listening platform. For example, if you're on Spotify, there's a little box that says follow. Just hit that. Uh, if you're on Apple Podcasts, for example, that little check mark up in the upper right-hand corner, you see that. Uh, just click on that. By doing both of those things, uh, you will get live updates uh, as to when episodes, uh, when new episodes come online. So it's really handy. Also, while you're on Apple Podcasts, if you can rate and review this podcast, um, that really does a ton to help out uh, Roadcase. And uh, to do that, you just scroll down a little bit from the Roadcase homepage on Apple Podcasts. Uh, see those little stars? Click a bunch of those, and you can write write a review if you uh, if you like what you hear. That's a really great way to support Roadcase. Thanks so much for that. So I am really excited to have had the opportunity to talk to Saida Blunt uh, from Sonos, where she's Senior Manager of Global Content Marketing. She's also the Executive Producer of Sonos Radio. And what Sonos Radio? Sonos is really, uh, they focus on the thoughtful discovery and curation of music playlists. Uh, and it's just a really compelling way to present music. It's not the same as Spotify. It's not the same as other streaming platforms that provide all music of almost all artists in the world, but they really take the opportunity to curate that, curate different types of ways of looking at music. Prior to Sonos, uh, Saida was at NPR Music, where she uh, helped produce tons of live events, uh, such as uh, uh, events at Newport Folk, at Poisson Rouge in New York City, and other broader shows. She's also on the advisory board of several organizations working toward the advancement of women in the music industry, uh, organizations such as We Are Moving the Needle, and She Said So, just to name a few. Saida's knowledge of music is vast, and her dedication to the representation of diverse groups is amazing and admirable. Uh, really love this conversation with Saida. I know that you will, too. Thank you so much for being here for this special episode, and I want to send a special thank you to Saida Blunt of Sonos for being here on this episode of Roadcase, and here we go.
Hey, Saida. Thanks for joining me on Roadcase. I'm so happy to see you. Hi there. Thanks so much for this, uh, for this opportunity. So excited. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, God, where do we start? You are the Senior Manager of Global Content Marketing at Sonos. How about we start there? That's pretty amazing mouthful of a title. And uh, uh, it's so impressive. T- tell me a little bit about what you're and, and you, I, my understanding is you just moved into that job in November. I did. And it's actually also been added on to. I'm now the oh, executive. Pr- I new, know it just news keeps. Flash. I didn't get that. Uh, I didn't get the press release. On that. I mean, <laughs> breaking news all the time. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm now executive producing um, Sonos Radio as well. Um, ah. It's really been a great ride. I've been with Sonos for five years and a few months. Mm-hmm. And over the course of that time, yes, most of it has been within like the marketing realm, but it's always touched upon culture and music. And um, a couple of years ago, I had a really great opportunity where um, some of the folks that were conceptualizing Sonos Radio asked, hey, we know that you have music industry background and, you know, you've worked um, with radio and um, making digital content. Yeah. Had you ever thought about working on helping create this project for Sonos and Mm. totally leapt at it because, uh, you know, I come from a very radio loving background. I mean, Mm -hmm. I grew up in Kansas city. It's such a a hefty radio city in the Midwest. Um, I did college radio and then had a nice little stint at NPR music. So it just seemed absolutely like, um, kismet to come back home to something I knew. Yeah. Shout out to college radio. I mean, I'm a, I'm a yeah. college radio and alum as well. Although I did, I got to honestly, and I've never said this like out loud, but I, uh, they wanted to put, you know, I had to do like, they m- promoted me to like the FM side, Oh, and, but I had to do 2am to 6am and I am not a, I am not that person. And I, I did it for like a couple months and I was dying. <laughs> Yeah, the late night end is like oh, you're that there. sounds so horrible. Oh. Like my fucking work ethic. Like uh, it's okay, but I, I understand was a that. Freshman. Oh, you were afraid. Yeah, they they gave you the grunt the grunt time. They're like, yeah, okay, yeah. prove yourself, and here's the grunt time that right. nobody really wants. But you know what? That's where you get the really special listeners, the ones that <laughs> might be a little too into college radio and listening to radio, like the calls late at night. I did it too. The calls late at night could get a little wild. <laughs> I don't know what you were saying on the air. I got, I didn't get any calls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, um, I was in the middle of Maine. Um, I went to a little small oh uh, liberal cool. uh, Bates. It's a uh-huh, liberal yeah, arts, yeah, 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 yeah like twelve hundred yeah. people total. Mm-hmm. Um, smack dab in the middle of the map of Maine, and you know, I don't think people had anything else to do in the middle of winter except like listen to um, the radio station and call yeah. in and torture young people. So. <laughs> <laughs> That sounds interesting. <laughs> um, so Sonos Radio. Okay. Um, I definitely, I want to delve into your background. I want to talk about NPR music and what you've done, but I got to just like understand Sonos Radio. I'm a Sonos user. I was looking for it. I was trying to access it. Um, uh, could walk me through a little bit about how I can more easily use the radio functions in Sonos and what it, and what it actually is. Sure. Um, Sonos Radio is our own platform that, in essence, um, replaces yet complements TuneIn. Um, we offer, oh, okay. 
you know, a lot of the terrestrial stations that you know and love. Um, if you want to hear your local station, you want to hear the station you grew up with in the Midwest or on the West Coast, um, it's probably there. Like we have about 60,000 plus terrestrial stations, as well as a bevy of Sonos curated mood and genre stations, stations mm. that come from artists that we work with, love, selected, um, weeded and begged to come join us, as mm. well as a lot of unique content that we've hand and human curated ourselves. And mm -hmm. that actually is my territory that I get to um, work on the human curation and, you know, a lot of this content that we've created. I, I, it's a great job. So, you know, as a, it, it is primarily an, an app and um, an offering for Sonos users. So you'd open up your app um, you'd hit like where you add in, you know, the different apps you'd like yeah, there, the like services. you mentioned. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like the different Nugs services. Or Spotify. Mm -hmm. Can I say Spotify on this podcast? You surely can. Today. <laughs> it's your podcast. If you want to. <laughs> and then, um, I mean, without you, offending the guest. No, by no means. I mean, I, I, I've got Spotify. I worked on the team that helped bring Spotify to America. So oh that's right, what I've got about stories yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah. Um, and I, have a, you know, I have a big, I have like two, three big stars next to Spotify under your resume. So uh -oh. we're talk about that. And then, um, you know, yeah, you can go into those services and you click Sonos and you'll see something called Sonos Radio and mm. you can select Sonos Presents and you'll get an array of offerings from, like I mentioned, your terrestrial stations. And then you could dive in by genre, like you could drop dive in by mood. Say you want to have something for sleep, like you need help going to sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. just click and immediately go. And then there's also- It puts also, on some really boring podcast for you that you can fall asleep to. I mean, every color noise, <laughs> white noise, pink noise, like yeah. the, the dreaded brown noise, everything. <laughs> um, and so- <laughs> You could literally, um, it's just a bevy. I always call it, um, it's kind of like a jukebox for folks that are interested in music discovery. That's our goal, that mm. we want people to be able to press your dummy if you need something immediately. Say you just want to listen to some pop music and get to the kitchen to cook. You can just yeah. press a button you and you go. Yeah. And then if you want to have a little bit of a deeper dive or you get more context, say you want to know more about how Erica Badu like shapes her music. What was she listening to when she grew up? What are her influences now? Erica Badu has a station with us and that we oh, partnered with her to create where she gave us thousands of tracks that um, over the course of her life, she's really loved or kind of admired. So you yeah. can get that insight into a little snippet of Erica Badu's brain. Right, right. So we really just kind of provide that deep dive for the music listener. So is there like an area like Spotify where there are individual artist releases and all that stuff, or it's, it's, it's different than that. It is different from okay. that. You well, know, that's, that's good. A, that's a good thing too. You know, you want something like a little is. different. I'm already understanding a little bit more. There's curated playlists that mm -hmm. are different than playlists on Spotify, have a little bit of a differentiating angle to it. As you mentioned with Erica Badu, um, it sounds, it sounds, it sounds interesting. Yeah. I think it is, um, much more of a, we really stress that idea of thoughtful discovery and curation. You know, um, mm -hmm. when I came up with what I wanted to be on Sono Sound System, which is our absolutely owned and operated station, I wanted the context to be about 
being a music fan that loves to discover things, you may find things that you've never heard of. You may find things that you hate, but if you wait five minutes, there'll be something else that comes on. Yeah. But then there's also really interesting context there mm-hmm. um, that we're able to dive a little bit deeper into the music. So, you know, for example, we have a really great show that's called Imaginary Soundtracks that um, dives into the world of music supervision for somebody who turns on a TV and is wondering why everybody's buzzing about this track that was on a certain TV show. You know, we have a show that um, the host is bringing on the best music curators and um, supervisors in the world. Like he's talking to the folks that are putting music on. Oh, I love that stuff. Um, Yellow Jackets and Euphoria and Atlanta. He's bringing in those names mm-hmm. and we just try to, with each one of our shows and the content that we put out there, we want that context to be there that if you want to go down the wormhole after you listen to the episode, feel free. You can get on any sorts of Twitter or Wikipedia or whatever, any sorts of app and go deeper. Or if you just wanted to hear about, you know, Ludwig, what Ludwig Gorenson was doing around the Mandalorian, we've got that for you as well. Interesting. Um, what about if I want to explore live music and what's going on in 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 the world of of live? Like, tell me, like, what I can do? Can I do that on Sonos? Stay in some tuned. Way, in some way. Is what I will say. We okay. have done some experiments um, in live music. It is, um, I will say, very challenging. I learned that yeah, from yeah. my time at NPR Music. Um, bringing that to audiences in a way that feels authentic and like you're a part of the experience, but isn't flat because sometimes, you know, listening to live recordings can feel a little flat with the way that Sonos, you know, products are very attuned to your home and resonate and you can kind of feel that kind of experience we wanted to make sure it's perfect so again stay tuned we've got some developments coming yeah cool i mean one thing i like about um in spotify is that when you go into a particular artist it will it knows your location and will give you a couple shows in your in your vicinity that's that's super helpful you know especially for what i do and like oh this is a new artist oh they're going to be at the metro tomorrow or for example or something like that oh yeah okay it's right, super right. smart. I mean, I, mean, I can do I that think, in other ways, obviously, right? And everyone can, but just like I'm on Spotify, you know, go to the artist page, boom. Yeah, I think that, you know, one of our dreams is how do we translate that kind of, like you mentioned, a pop-up video kind of style onto um, a full user experience. If you go to the Sonos app or mm-hmm. a potential future website or mm-hmm. whatever we kind of bring to our listener. We're definitely thinking about that. You know, everybody on our team are, are definitely music fans and we use these apps that are out there the same way that you do. And yeah. we're always trying to buff out that kind of 360 experience. So, right. yeah. Well, more details very soon. How much pressure do you, uh, what kind of pressure, I'm not going to say how much, cause I know it's probably a lot, but like what types <laughs> of pressure are you feeling to differentiate Sonos? Um, you know, I mean, being very honest, I can look from two different ends. From the business end, there is a huge, um, there's pressure out there for anybody that's getting into this game. Yeah. You know, there is, you know, there's obviously a financial cost <laughs> to doing this. So mm-hmm. as somebody that is coming in with a subscription model, Sonos is thinking about how do we make this engaging to our listener? What makes us different or what makes somebody want to open their wallet and spend $7.99 a month? Mm-hmm. Um to subscribe to us when they probably have subscriptions to A, B, or C. What differentiates us? 
from a music fan and music listener level, I think the pressure is there on a personal level because mm. as a music fan, I want, there are things that I really want to experience when I look at a, um, an outlet or a brand or somebody that is engaging in music. You know, I personally am a massive BBC six fan. I think that they do it really, really well on their websites that they kind of, you know, they bring you into the universe of the music and they bounce around and it's like, we're trying to do our version of that as well as like we're trying to do our version of what John Peel did and giving exposure to new artists and voices that aren't out there, especially voices of color. We're really trying to give them a platform to get their music and what they're working on out there these days. Um, there's that pressure. I just want to make sure that, you know, if I had a music friend that wanted to discover something, I want to be able to say, hey, turn on Sonos Radio. Today, a friend yeah. posted up something about her favorite um, mixed cloud things. And, you know, I went to her and I was like, how come Sonos radio wasn't there? I want you. And she's like, you know, I didn't even think about it. She's like, I always think about like, you know, the ones that I always pop up. And I was like, that's a pressure to me that if like when a friend or somebody doesn't think of us in the first like five outlets that they're doing, that's pressure on me to step up my game. Right. So wait, <clears throat> am I spending seven ninety nine to get Sonos through my Sonos app? that I use because I have the Sonos sound system or how did that work? What, what am I missing? We do have different tiers. We have oh, a free okay. tier. Right. I guess I've been using the free ads, tier. I was like, wait, is, I don't remember paying for that, but I'll look the into free it. The free tier is great. It has tons of different content that is available. Um, you know, there's Tom York's radio station. We have Brittany Howard. I mean, most of the artist content that we create is on the free platform. We do offer a tiered level for HD for the HD quality sound, uh, as well uh, as some okay, exclusives. Yeah. But yeah, we're definitely trying to keep this open and available to Sonos users. We know that Sonos is a premium product and yeah, yeah. you've spent your, your, your hard earned money to like get into like the cult of Sonos. <laughs> we might as well bring you all the way there. <laughs> yeah, right. They might as well take an extra seven ninety nine a month, but we're getting a lot <laughs> in return for it. And uh, yeah, I would pay to pay up for HD. I mean, it's kind of implied like I'm on there because I'm in the Sonos system they, mm -hmm. they should have bugged me more about it i didn't get any well, i didn't know. no one bugged no one it, it wasn't like when i went into radio they weren't like constantly bugging me like oh you can do 7.99 like i just sort of yeah just bounced around and looked at the different offerings yeah we understand that you know we have really great sound that comes from sonos it's like at our free tier it is above industry standard of like it equals many of our count counterparts in the space the hg just takes it to a next level yeah um are you are you guys getting into spatial audio at all or is that like strictly an apple thing um it is something that our team is very very interested in you know we do have a lot of products now with um we have our um arc that has dolby atmos um spatial oh, yeah, audio yeah, is yeah, definitely um, something that we're <laughs> i mean it's i have, I have play, an, i have like two generations ago play bar like from like four years ago or something i don't know which is still great but oh, yeah, yeah rocks for sure yeah take a look at the arc <laughs> and um it's pretty fantastic um it 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 blew my wig off like bringing up the mandalorian again um that was the first program i watched with um the Dolby Digital, and I was just stunned at how good it sounded in my um, my living room. So we are. Oh, wait, so I'm not getting that highest level Dolby Digital with the the like 2017 Play Bar. 
or 2018 Not yet. play bar? Okay. No. Like, right. we're going to get you there, though. We're going to get you there. Sonus is constantly innovating. The teams that work on that are definitely um, entrenched in that, are, are sound. I just wish um, I could use lead. the play bar somewhere else. I didn't, I don't know what to do with it if I upgrade mm-hmm. that, whereby if I upgrade to like a different speaker you know side speaker system i can like move those to move the old one i can continue to just move the old ones to another room and stuff you can i have plenty I of it friends in a different that tv it, yeah Somewhere. you can use it on a different tv but then i have friends that have just used it as a speaker that oh, just have oh, it yeah just laid set it flat down and just table. like whatever oh and it okay. looks really cool i'm so I've glad we talk saida i mean um, anytime you need, I'm, you've got VIP do you do service like, here. Do you do uh, like interior install. decorating advice for me as well? Uh, I could do interiors, but I thought you were going to ask about installation. Oh, like, no, 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 no. I got, I, I got, I got a guy. I got Good. a guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so wait, explain to me what's mixed cloud and what the difference is that. Is that the same thing? Is that Sonos radio? We have an archives of our content on Mixcloud, which is okay. mixcloud.com slash Sonos. Okay. For anyone who's interested where you can go in. And that's where at, I was, yeah. 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 At the current moment, I think we have about 265 plus different shows and podcasts and episodes that people can check out. So they are a partner. You know, we forsake no one that was on the original Sonos app. They came along with this on the journey mm-hmm. with uh, to Sonos Radio. So yeah. everyone there is featured and showcased on the side. You can still add on the uh, the the different apps and um, different sh- different platforms you'd like to use. But yeah, we've been really really um, excited that Mixcloud is supporting us as our um, archives partner. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Um, you know, I want to talk about the creation of playlists, et cetera, and how you're involved in that. Also, in so many different kinds of areas, especially um, creating content for underrepresented groups as well, mm. which I really want to delve into. But um, let's talk a little bit about where you were before. I'm really interested NPR music, um, The Fader, uh, Spotify. Uh, where should we start? Uh, how about, how about NPR? Um, I, I don't know. I don't even know what order that's in, but, uh, what'd you do in NPR? Let's just cover that or we can go back farther if you'd like. Yeah. NPR, um, was my destination right before Sonos. Actually, I was there for five years. Mm-hmm. Um, I led music live events and worked on digital platforms and content. Were you so in DC or were you? I was one of the few that was in New York. There were oh, about... Okay. 13 of us in an office that was comprised of not only NPR music, but uh, Planet Money, um, some of the game shows mm-hmm. and um, the podcast shows, Science Friday. There's a nice little group of us there. Yeah. Um, but I was in D.C. all of the time, I think at least yeah. two to three times a month on that on the train. They knew me on the Asela. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so and tell me tell me a little bit about what you did. Did you work with Bob? Bob Boylan? I did. I worked yeah, with Bob yeah. Boylan Bo- every day. He was Bob. on your show. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. Such a great guy. Uh, I still He's have to make his amazing. Bag- I still have to make his bagels, though. Please don't tell him oh. I haven't done that yet. Yeah, Bob is uh, Bob is kind of a beast in the kitchen. I don't I know. know if you got into that. But, well, uh, yeah. Well, then I went cook. to the recipe, and it's like I need to do the starter thing and all that. I need mm. to get into it. I'm like, uh, yeah. Um, I'm meaning to do know, it, Bob, if you're listening. <laughs> I promise I will. I worked with Bob every day. Um, I worked. A, I actually got to be on um, All Music Considered probably like four or five times, which is so much fun to be on that show yeah. with Bob and Robin. A little s- secret thing is that 
Robin is one of my music heroes, did not know. He programmed the college radio station that I listened to growing up in Kansas City. He programmed it out of uh, KU in Lawrence, which was when I found that out, I flipped out because that shaped the music that I listened to. And he was the program director there um, pretty much most of his tenure, which just blew my mind. But um, so, you know, uh, I came into NPR as they were trying to figure out how to expand and create a a music live platform. Um, So doing live events um, and partnerships with different artists and, and uh, it was pretty amazing, you know, five years of doing everything for being the, the headlining um, presenter for South by Southwest at Stubbs. Mm. Um, We ran the main stage audio for uh, Newport Folk and Newport Jazz, Americana Fest. And that's not even counting just even the local shows that we put on ourselves. So over those five years um, doing that and also um, creating different platforms there, like uh, field recordings where we would take out different artists and record them very stripped down and, you know, in new environments. That oh, that's was really cool. Like outside, yeah. uh, you know, uh-huh. wow. Outside, um, you know, that's super challenging them- too. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah. Uh, you know, we really kind of pioneered that off of Newport Folk, where we would literally grab artists as they're walking down the steps of the main stage, be like, okay, get in the cart. We're going to go take you by the water or we're going to take you to the top of the Ford. And um, those opportunities were priceless that I think getting to see those artists that are used to having, you know, all they're just like taking Dylan, not electric, um, going <laughs> backwards that we kind of, pulled the cord for a lot of people was like, okay, show us what you could do. Um, yeah, it was a really special period in my life. I talked to many of the people at NPR still to this day, actually yesterday. Um, and I'm such a big fan. The one thing that hits me in the gut every day that I didn't get to work on. And I wish I did. I never got to work on a tiny desk. Mm. That was the only thing. And I think that they're just knocking it out of the park, but, um, NPR is, filled with some of the most hardworking, smart, um, insightful journalists I've ever known. And Mm, that they're lovers of music. They respect music. They respect artistry. And to have that platform be respected by other artists, you know, they gave us a lot of leeway that probably a lot of the other platforms and outlets out there didn't get people were supporting public radio as much as i mean npr like we did not have big budgets like we didn't have apple budgets we had npr budgets and we would have massive stars be like okay you know what i'm i'm gonna do this i'll pay to rent this place for the day i'll show up like i'm gonna cut my day like i'll fly in for this and i'll pay for it because i want to be on npr people 40 years Plus, I mean, it's easing towards 50 now, but 40 years plus of a legacy of that, people really had respect and love for NPR. And that's what made it just such a golden, a golden time where both ends cared about what they were doing. It's kind of like the Newport of radio, sort of. Absolutely. People, when they, when Newport comes calling as an artist, you generally say yes, hopefully. Although Jay Sweet would dispute that. (laughs) (laughs) he's like no dude i have to work much harder than that but conceptually big picture i think that you would agree with that um really 
tell me a little bit about the live performances that you, um, I, you, you told me a little bit about what you've done at Newport and taking people off into different environments, but also NPR would sponsor sp um, special live events with artists in the city. Yeah, we did a lot or in uh, New York it. City and promote them. Uh, New York City um, at that time, our home was a venue called Le Poisson Rouge, which mm, is in mm -hmm. uh, the West yeah, Village. Yeah. Uh, very small stage um, downstairs, like you walked through and you literally went into like kind of this like darkened hallway and then you <sighs> popped into this venue that had a cap of I think of no more than 400. Oh, my God. I've so heard so seeing... many amazing things about that room. Yeah, we crammed that room sometimes. There were times I was crying because there were just people outside. I mean, we did everyone from one of the most amazing. We did Iggy Pop in the round. Oh, my God. Um, where he just did an array of his hits plus just like showcase some of the badass new music. Can I say that? Oops. Um, some of the music yeah, he was doing. Everyone. I've already dropped a couple <laughs> F-bombers. Um, you See, know, you didn't even um, notice. You're so... I didn't even notice. <laughs> But um, yeah, Iggy Pop was probably one of the most memorable because um, that was our first in the round. He submitted the um, set list in advance, so we were all geeked out, just like, "Oh my god, he's about to play!" Really, That's some cool. of the gut Why punchers. Did you do that? Um, you asked I him think just he, like you were filming it, or you just yeah, to we it. yeah, we usually had to clear and license and know everything. Like we were mentioning at the top, like yeah, yeah. Live events and um, especially broadcasting is a whole nother set um, yeah, yeah, of rules yeah. that you have to go through. So what an amazing and, uh, show. Yeah, he was great. Um, trying to think of what else we did. We also did a lot of um, events around like festivals like CMJ when it existed. Remember mm -hmm. the CMJ Fest where we would do full lineups where um, have a D usually a DJ and have people set up trying to think of some other folks that we had you know we got an exclusive with tori amos that was probably one of the most cramped events and the one that i got the most guest list uh requests from friends guest list requests from friends ever um the love for tori amos is real mm. and strong like mm -hmm. i had friends that came out of the woodwork being like you're going to get me in to this Tori Amos thing, and <laughs> I don't care which. I was like, wow, people really loved. People love Tori Amos. Um, yeah, we what did has a she really been doing. I'm not in that loop, but is yeah. there? I have not heard like broad. I would I would hear about it in a broader sense, but is that sort of just like kind of she's like not really doing a lot right now. She actually just released an album, I oh, think, there you in go. January. I knew I was um, going to put my foot in my mouth, but anyway, no, I think it. Um, What's amazing is that this year was the 30th anniversary of Little Earthquakes, which is uh -huh. wild to think about. Uh -huh. um, so, yeah, she's she's definitely one of those artists that is cult status. Um, yeah. A favorite of uh, NPR, Sharon Van Etten. Mm -hmm. She did. Um, we got to program in Washington, D.C. Um, most NPR events were at the 930 Club, legendary, yeah, amazing phenomenal. venue yep. with one of the best, most hardworking staffs in the world. Uh -huh. Shout out to the 930 Club staff. Yeah. Um, we did uh, NPR's um, big anniversary party there for all things, or excuse me, all music. Eh, all songs. We did a really great event for All Songs Considered. Yeah. And, um, you know, Sharon showed up. Uh, we had uh, Kishibashi. Um, who else? Um, just yeah. 
tons of other folks. A lot of great stuff. A lot of great yeah, stuff. Yeah, I mean, I just saw, over Sharon five was just years, down in, uh, in Mexico. I saw her set down there uh, with my oh, morning wow. jacket. Yeah, it was amazing. She's one of the nicest people ever, she, too. Yeah, she she's seems so like super personable. Humble. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, she came back. That was the period when she was in school and she had given up music. She came oh, back really? to do that show for Robin because Robin was the one that kind of put her on. He received a cassette tape of her music from Robin or from um, Kip from TV on the radio was like, you need to hear this artist. Yeah. He loved her, uh-huh. played it and exploded. Oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah, she blew up. Um, yeah, she came back and did that just for Robin, which I thought was really, really lovely and touching. Um, but yeah, we were extraordinarily lucky to play in some of the most beautiful venues in the United States and, you know, the Ryman, um, that, that will always be one of my favorites ever. Like just sitting in the front row of the Ryman and hearing people sound check for Americana Fest, like here, it's just unbelievable. Um, NPR was a very special time and I'm very grateful to them for, for trusting me because I was coming out of, you know, doing nightlife and freelancing for a lot of folks like Spotify. I was mm-hmm. at that time had just finished um, working on with a ad agency that um, was working on projects around Spotify and they gave me a chance. Like they wanted somebody to come in and shake things up. They were like, we don't need somebody that's coming from, you know, like a, events or a live events world. We want somebody who's going to think that differently about this and how do we kind of do events differently. So I'm very thankful to um, Anya Grunman and her team over there. She's amazing. And Bob and yeah. all of the all yeah. the folks over there. Shout out to all those people. Um, let's talk about Spotify a little bit. What did you do over there? And, um, and how did that kind of shape you for where you are, where you're at now? So I worked with a really great agency out of the UK that was working with Spotify to set up the groundwork for them coming to America, thinking about how um, they were going to relate and work with the big five, like Mm -hmm. labels and agencies and, you know, um, licensing and paying out artists. And how do we speak to, you know, at that time, after people had a little bit of malaise around, Napster and some of these Livewire, think about our li- uh, Livewire, Lime excuse yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Think about some of those apps that remember people were just kind of tired, like, oh, I have so many like MP3s on my, um, on my computer and they're all buggy and I'm just playing this <laughs> yeah. and I'm getting harassed by people. <laughs> and, you know, Spotify was just entering that market and they're like, how do we explain to people that it's, you know, kind of like a virtual jukebox that you, pay us like this like amount of money and then you have access to everything and then right. we distribute the payments and so what like, years what years were those sorry said ooh let me i'm going to have to think about that that's uh, oof, that's like early 2010 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and um you know i think that it was very much a tra- how to translate that because i think there were a lot of people that were music fans that had European friends that use this thing, Spotify, that they heard about. They're yeah. like, oh, I know this. And, you know, my British friends are using this and they love it. But it was such a mystery here. And so, you know, we kind of sat down and we're trying to think about how do we introduce this to American market? Is it by doing a festival? Is it by kind of literally doing tutorials? Do we do like pop-ups 
around the country where we sit down with people and literally show them how to do it. Because I remember at that time it was just such a new thing. But, yeah. um, and that, you know, ironically, that was the first time I'd ever seen a Sonos that um, in their office, they had it. And it, um, at the time it just hooked up so seamlessly yeah. to um, the Sonos that people um, were like, oh, this is pretty great. But it was a really interesting team. And, you know, I think that they decided to kind of let the app speak for itself and, People really did um, kind of go go for it. I think that talking to music fans first was the right move that they were like, hey, here's everything for you. We take care of. Yes, we are going to pay the artists. We take care of that. We do this. We've talked to all the labels and, you know, artists for better or for worse are coming along with it. But um, I think that that word of mouth and kind of just letting it resonate through the culture ended up working out for them. Apparently. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I kind of left before it really yeah. kind of just landed. But that was, I think, where they had landed, that they were like, OK, we're just going to let the app speak for itself. I don't think we need to do all of this stuff of like having a Spotify festival and, and wherever or yeah. doing pop ups or whatever. I think it, they, you know, word of mouth I mean, and apps, smart. development of iPhones uh, since then has been extraordinary, obviously. Yeah. You know, having that computer in your pocket, and um, uh, so it 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 feels like you're kind of at Sonos at this 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 key crossroads point now in developing that level of platform. So, how did what you did at Spotify sort of prepare you for where you are now? Or do, do you see the, any similarities? You know, it is a little bit different because we aren't like that kind of virtual jukebox where you could just kind of like, I want to hear the new Taylor Swift and I'm just going to put it on to play it. Yeah. You, we are much more in line with what TuneIn did that we provide kind of the outlet for you to access, access the music you want to hear. So yeah. it is much more about lining in with the terrestrial side, but I think that we've been really lucky to be able to have this moment where we're where we were curating and doing this human curation of content that could resonate. You know, when we were sitting down and doing it, we were like, what's Sonos's position on A, B, or C? Like, what is Sonos's position on modern black music? What are we thinking about pop music? Mm -hmm. What are we thinking about, you know, um, where women are in the music industry right now? And so we we really thought about crafting that content yeah. much more than lining in with, okay, we've got to line up and play hits. We don't have that kind of overhead because we're not playing albums. We don't have to worry about, okay, we've got to play this artist five times, or we've got to play this artist like once every hour, or we got to make sure that they have a banner at the top. We don't have to do any of that. Right, right. Um, we're free to kind of curate and, and play what we actually love and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. give, give you some options, but you know what? You don't have to listen to us. If you just want to hear some great country, press the country button and you've got country stations. Right, right. So there's a little bit of a freedom to, to create something that's not necessarily tied to what an artist's latest release is. You're Absolutely. curating music more than you are presenting every, every album in the world on one app. Yeah. And there's, I mean, we're not an Apple. We're, we don't have Spotify budgets. We're really lucky that, you know, Sonos had, the Sonos main machine and the main company had faith in us to do this. And they gave us like a lot of runway and a, not a lot of oversight to create content and create and take part in curation. So, 
yeah, we haven't had those ideas. Like that's so liberating um, yeah. that don't have to be, be held to a, a, a publicist schedule <laughs> in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. Um, so let's talk about, you know, we're talking about content creation and how Sonos is sort of differentiating itself from Spotify, for example, but you've mentioned quite a number of different types of content creation at Sonos, which is quite interesting. I'd have to, I'd have to say, um, and you've been involved in also content creation for, quote unquote, underrepresented groups. And I'm taking that language from, from, mm -hmm. from, from, uh, what you've, uh, what you've written and descriptions about what you do, um, like black, uh, black artist pride category, mm -hmm. uh, Latin X categories. Um, yep. can you talk a little bit about, um, the creation of that and why you're in that sort of area and, um, to bring more, uh, recognition and understanding of those those artists to the broader to the broader listening ship public if you yeah. will <laughs> we it was really important to us on the the content team at Sonos there's uh, you know I work alongside five other really amazing folks that we wanted to make sure that even um from the internal content that we create mm -hmm. um we wanted to make sure that underrepresented or marginalized voices, historically marginalized voices were heard. Um, you know, we do it on a couple different levels. One, you mentioned that um, we've worked with um, our black group and, you know, um, at Sonos, it's called black at um, we, cr we listen to our ERG, which is a employee resource group, which mm. is our group for um, black and African-American um employees that, you know, there was great interest um, in having their voice heard and creating their own content and curating their own music. Same with, um, you know, I will be honest that our pride group, um, Pride At, was the first to bring it to our attention, being like, hey, is there any um, desire to have pride create a radio station? I was like, yeah, that's a really great idea. Mm -hmm. And so sitting down with pride, we thought of, you know, obviously letting employees put songs in there. And that's like one of the largest um, bases of music that we have. I think it's like 2000 some songs runs that station. And that's a lot for any sorts of um, online or internet station. That's a lot of songs. Yeah. Um, and so what added that touch, and I think that adds that context is that we wanted to do VOs where we heard from our employees on a VOs. real and a uh, voiceover. Sorry. Okay. Um, <laughs> Let's keep the jargon to a minimum. So I know. It's no, <laughs> such a radio jargon. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Um, we wanted to do voiceovers for our- I should know our... that. Like, what am I talking about? Okay. No, it's just such, it is such nerdy insider baseball um, that we wanted to do voiceovers that were very honest and real about- um, the pride experience and the experience of LGBTQ plus employees. Um, mm. So, you know, I'm giving a little bit of the secret sauce here. Yeah, um, please do. Uh, so we do a couple different types. You know, there's obviously what we call like the directional ones where it's like, hi, you're listening to Pride Ad on Sonos Radio that lets people know where they are or, hey, coming up next and you just heard a song by this artist. But then the next level that we really, really have dug into is that we do these things called song stories. Mm. 
mm-hmm. where we let employees um, record a voiceover that ties into a song and they tell a story about it. We keep them really tight. It's like a 30 second story, but they can range all over the map. They go from really funny stories. Like one was about um, how somebody was in the car with their parent and they were singing along the song. And that was the first time that his mother knew that he was gay. And she was just like, this is fantastic. I have a singing buddy now. And uh, all the way, (laughs) that is amazing. (laughs) All the way to ones that are really sad and emotional and gripping and that you're like on the edge of your seat listening. Um, we thought it was really important to give folks that outlet to tell their truth. Um, and you know, we're on, I'm actually starting the process of our third refresh with them on that. This is going to be our third annual year of doing that. Um, Refreshing of the voiceovers. Of the station and the voiceovers. We just keep adding. So it's kind of becoming like our version of song stories where we're building this base of truth telling and storytelling from our employees at Sonos. Um, As we speak, I'm working on a station for our Asian Pacific Islander community Mm. at, at Sonos. And it's really resonating with everyone that this is really a crucial time to do this. Like with what's going on here in New York city with the, um, the Asian hate crimes that are happening to have this moment where Asian and Pacific Islander employees from not only just here in the States, but we have employees around the world. We have employees in China and Korea and Japan. So to let people tell their own stories, and we're also doing them in their own languages and we're letting people Uh. speak naturally. And so, you know, without any translation or we're just letting people tell their truth that we felt it really resonated right now. And it was really needed in a, in a context of, letting people humanize themselves and see themselves on a, on a larger, on a larger platform that, you know, we're, we're representing all of these people, but you know, we're really one people have very common stories and mm-hmm. you hear them and, you know, it ties into a certain song and yeah. um, it's been really, really important work right now. Yeah. It's really been great to take that internationally. You know, we think of these underrepresented groups and we think of music or I do so so much of a, of a national phenomenon, uh, or at least extended out to English speaking countries, for example, mm-hmm. but to take it even that next level and represent groups uh, and uh, that speak a different language that are listening to different music. I mean, that's a, that's a really compelling angle. Yeah, we did that. I mean, with it's got our, infinite um, possibilities, right? Really does. Um, <laughs> you know, our markets in Sonos radio are opening quicker than we we sometimes can balance you know we have um our station in the netherlands is doing really really well and there's mm-hmm. a lot of dutch on that station mm-hmm. our german stations are doing well we have a german hip-hop station we have like a german electronic we cover everything and you know also you know the the innovators on this was our uh, latinx group really were adamant that they were like we want to let people speak um in whatever dialect of Spanish or Portuguese or any kind of like rural, there were people that brought in languages that are, they're very not just not represented out there. They were like, you know, dialects, different regional dialects. dialects. Yeah. Thank you. Super interesting uh, stuff. (laughs) And they were very um, like, we, we really want to do this. And Mm. you know, our team at super hi-fi made it happen. They're just like, um, this is great as long as we can translate it and we have it and that folks are willing to go in and crisp it up if need be. And, and we 
get it out and we can record it, we, we can do it. So um, it's just nice to let people be able to speak their truth in their own language. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. Uh, it's such great work that you do, Saida. It's fun. Yeah. How's it? How's it going? Tell me, I guess you've done almost 13 now different groups or? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's quite a bit. Um, you know, there's between the ERG stations, the content that we're doing. Yeah, I'm at about 13 different shows and platforms that I'm kind of EPing at this at any time. So yeah. and more like I'm about to um, start working on like our summer platforms. And then fall is always really big for us. Like we traditionally kind of launch a lot more shows in fall. So lots to come. But it's every day is great. I can't be angry because this is what I wanted to do. Like, you know, I. I've always wanted to work in music. I grew up listening to music and digging through my dad's record collection and listening and dancing around the living room of music with my mom. So this is the dream. What were some of your biggest like musical touchstones in terms of groups or genres when you were growing up in KC? As a little kid, um, absolutely pop music and disco. Disco coming from my parents. My mom was a massive uh, Sylvester fan. Uh-huh, so yeah. <laughs> I, I remember growing up listening to a lot of Sylvester and dancing around. Yeah. Uh, my mom loved ABBA. Mm-hmm. Um, I can. That's talk the about main international. One. I mean, yeah my yeah. my parents Global. have. Uh, my parents were definitely an international love story. Like I've like oh, that's really? a whole episode. Yeah, really. Like my parents traveled around the world to go see bands and oh, and go to concerts. Oh, like right they on. went to Paris together. Like they had me uh, later in life. But my mm-hmm. mom told me she was like, we wanted to make sure that we did everything that we wanted to do, to do so we could before concentrate you on came having into a child. Our, before you came into our lives and completely yeah. shut us down. <laughs> no, I think they were very happy about it. Like, I They're think like, probably that, my mom was like... You could take it both ways. Of course, I took like the cynical <laughs> angle on that. It's like, we, would, we did everything that was cool in life before you came around. They're uh, like, uh, but um yeah i mean my dad was in the military for a long time and Mm -hmm. you know he played um trumpet and played trumpet in jazz bands in paris while he was stationed there and you know my mom traveled through africa by herself at one point and with a friend that they went top to bottom and just listened to music and went to like different clubs and my mom was telling me about crazy like african jazz bands and rock bands and things oh, like that man, things i'm that super you into the african rock african rock yeah. right now like oh, M. Yeah. Mokhtar that's touring that right now unbelievable they live i saw him like maybe rock. two years he's ago amazing. he's unbelievable he's touring with uh parquet courts right now oh i didn't know that that's yeah. a good tour yeah it was wow. just in chicago at the the riv yeah yeah oh. i like to link up with a really big national act like that in the States. Yeah. I also saw him headline at Lincoln Hall here also recently. And um, Yeah, I saw fall. him at Webster Hall, which that, yeah. and it was packed. And he has that. the hype, was it, did, you saw that show? Yeah. The, and he's got the hype man on stage with him? <laughs> Do you, you know what I'm talking about? I think so. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, sole purpose is just to hype the crowd. He doesn't play anything. Like, I guess he claps and he, I think he played a little tambourine or something, but he's the hype yeah. man. He's the hype man. Not it's that a great they, tradition. Not that they <laughs> needed one. Oh, is that? Yeah. Do you see that a lot with like international? No, or but like I love African? that. 
No. I've always wanted, you know. Sort of like I tradition was, from like a marketing standpoint. Like we need a hype Absolutely. Yeah, 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 need a little bit of a hype man. Yeah, the guy yeah. that like kind of gets people ready to dance and to show some of the traditional right. dances and traditional like instruments. Oh, yeah, like he you got people I love super that. into that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. There's like a couple dance steps that people were doing. It was it was phenomenal. It's it. a great cultural experience. I loved it. I met some great people after that show. Just that were, oh cool. I follow African bands and the, oh who would like what and it was a whole other world. I wish there were there were more of those opportunities. This one was particularly interested because I like I'm in kind of a little bit of a rock lane just naturally mm. in my gut. So to have bands that are that are dudes from Africa that were listening that are listening to Hendrix, I'm like, yeah, I'm, yeah. On, I'm on board, dude. Like bring your own flavor to it. And what are you thinking about it? And how are you expressing that on stage? It's 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 extraordinary. I mean, if you think about that, like the time when and even before when my mom was traveling through that, like in countries like Zaire, there was like a whole like heavy rock scene, like a psych psych scene in like Mm -hmm. the late 60s and 70s that people are only like discovering and getting into those albums right now. It's wild. It's exciting too. Japanese psych rock, um, Kikagaku Moyo. Oh my God. Yes. Make sure you see them on their last tour. Yeah, there's yeah. a great book called um, Japan Rock about the whole like um, Japanese like kind of psych and hard rock um, uh, scene. It's unbelievable. Like once you start digging into that stuff, I'm the, and that. Well, I don't again, know. Is that, it? Hold on one second, uh, though. Is it ethnocentric to say that it's unbelievable? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not throwing that back at it, you. No, I'm not throwing that back at you. I'm just. I'm. I'm kind of just thinking out loud that. Maybe it's not so unbelievable. It's it's cool because I think like rock and blues is an mm-hmm. is 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 an American tradition. I'll go out on a yep. limb and say that. <laughs> but and that other countries, of course, have adopted it as well. I think it's cool and super interesting. I guess what what really gets me going is is because I've spent a lot of time abroad. I mean, I lived in Europe for for several years over the course of my long life um but and so i love just seeing the other international expression of 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 a musical expression and a musical lane that i love so much yeah no i think you're right i think that it is looking at it through that western lens of kind of being surprised but i think for me in in one way just leading back into that kind of um thinking about African psych rock and things like that. You know, for me growing up through a very narrowed lens in Kansas City in the Midwest Mm. being, you know, a very middle class, like young black teenager that had exposures to different sort of things. You know, there were a lot of cultural movements. You know, hip hop didn't really hit in Kansas City the way that it did in some other cities. It took quite a while. Like I left Kansas City in like the early 90s and went to college and I was educated there like I mean obviously you knew like the MTV like hip-hop but like those little regional scenes and different things I had no idea so for me I mean it through the I think a little bit through the lens of when I was able to discover that there was this side of music made by black people around the world that mm-hmm. had been traditionally looked at through a Western lens, it was very much a, a mind blow for me to discover a lot of that stuff. That's and I mean, stuff that you love is also being loved by other people. There's also that, yeah. that bigger sense of community where you're like, mm-hmm. Oh, this is this Japanese rock band and they're digging on what we're doing and we're digging on what they're doing. Yeah. And it's, it's, it, I mean, it's the true universal language, of course. Yep. However, um, yeah, those just those bigger issues when you really think about it, that it really is a globalization of music. And it's so, yeah, there's just, there, there's such a, an amazing feeling of community 
Um, I'm not sure. I know that there's got to be like a better word, the community. But when you when when you meet someone, it's like meeting someone in Paris that you like that that, <laughs> or, or just any other city that you sh- and you share these common interests, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I think that that's, you know, I, like you mentioned, what was I listening to? I think as a as a little kid, that's the stuff. As I became a teenager, um, I really got into kind of that new wave electropop like that like depeche mode mm, the mm-hmm. cure kind of gothy Bauhaus? sort of things my parents remember very Bauhaus? much yeah, so yeah fucking amazing joy, my di- parents joy were, division yeah joy division uh, all of that yeah the factory record stuff of uh, my parents were very patient like i can't even imagine <laughs> what it must have been like that your kid comes home and is kind of like all dressing and like black clothing and listening to goth stuff and going to like teen, you know, that was such a big Midwestern thing, going to the teen goth yeah, club. Yeah, that's and, what parents have to deal with, you know? Yeah. And I mean, especially my, my kids my, aren't like, I, mean, yeah. I got, I got three kids. So I had a one out of three oh. chance of like someone being in my lane, which I, it's, it was accomplished, but <laughs> you know, my kids listen to poppy stuff that I, I don't necessarily listen to, but I learn a lot mm-hmm. from them. You love that. But, you know, I think it is because my parents experimented and listened broadly themselves. Like, like, my mm-hmm. parents loved Pink Floyd. My parents loved Yeah, you got you to be careful with what you like, wish for, you know? <laughs> I think so. And they really got it with me. And they were very patient, but it had a limit that, you know, the moment I went to college, my dad was like, buckle up and it's about academics. Like I totally at a point was <sighs> yeah. like, I want to do this, this. And my dad was <laughs> like, no, this is about those books. And he's like, if I'm paying for college, you're going to get a degree in something yeah. where you'll have a job afterwards. So yeah. music came after was a second thought for me and then i think they realized after a certain point like i think the the big mistake was letting me move to new york for grad school it was a wrap like <laughs> when you come to a city where it's 24 7 you can go to a show or yeah. go to a club or oh, whatever yeah. um one year in i was like it's gonna be music sorry yeah well, I mean, a KC kid went to Maine, and then you you were super into it, and then of course you're going to to, to the city, you know? Yeah, yeah. It yeah. took a lot. Like my parents were like, "We're not paying a dime for it," and so I moved back home for two years, took a break, like waited tables at some of the best like steakhouses in Crete, and like I saved every dollar I made for those two years, yeah. and that helped me move to New York City. That was the only way. Right. You did grad work in New- in New York. I did one year and then Where, I was where'd, just where'd like, you, where'd you do? Where'd you go? Uh, at uh, New School University oh, for yeah, yeah, yeah. 14th Street, right? public policy and public theory, uh, public political theory. So nice. that did one year was like, I think I'm fried. I knew that um, I was done. I just done way too many years of academics. And I was like, I can't do it anymore. Once I saw what else was going on in the world, I was like, I, I can't settle for this. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You got to go with your gut at some point, I think. I mean, really did. people in the music business, you know, you, you, you're doing this because <laughs> you love it. And then you just yeah. get to a point earlier or later in your life where you just realize, if I don't do this, in, that's what's in my gut, I'm never going to be happy. 100%. Yeah, I knew <laughs> kind of early. Like, yeah, yeah, that was very thing. rare. Cause I knew pretty much from when I was a teenager, I was like, I'm going to be in academics, I'm going to teach, I'll probably be in politics, whatever. But for me to come here, and it took one year, I was like, this is serious for it to derail everything I thought I'd, I'd known. So I was like, right. music is it. Music really is it. Well, you were in a good city to do that. I mean, expensive, of course, to make the gut, because yeah. you make the gut decision. <laughs> it's not always from a money perspective, because your gut doesn't know what the fucking finances are. It really uh, so you're in a tough place for that. But you're also in the best place 
you know, arguably one of the best places to explore um, an interest in music. Um, But in terms of like other other interests that you have, other things that you're doing, I really want you to tell me about, um, you know, you're on the advisory board of We Are Moving the Needle. Yes. Um, and you also work with um, She Said Dot So. Am I saying that right? She Said So, yep. She Said So. Okay, well, yep. the website is She Said Dot So. I, I Absolutely, sure. I, yeah. That's what I, um, tell me. Tell me about We Are Moving the Needle and what we're doing, what, what they're doing there. It's really, it's really great stuff for the advancement of women in the music industry. Yeah, it's um, an organization that was started by um, Emily Lazar, who is a multi-Grammy award-winning um, kind of engineer, uh, board producer. She's worked with people um, like Coldplay, Beck. She's worked with the top names of the business. And mm. she has just been such a strong advocate for women working in music, sound, any facets of the music industry. Um she, as as many of us have, um, experienced a lot of obstacles in her journey. And she was just like, you know, I don't feel like this should be something that the younger ge- generation should experience anymore. Not with this body of women out here now that are doing amazing things and are breaking down barriers and, and crashing glass ceilings. She's like, let's get a soundboard, which I am a member of. Uh, together that will advise and mentor and help create policies and advocate and sponsor for women advancing in music. And, you know, that's something that's really important to me as a woman, Mm -hmm. as a woman of color, as an older woman, I'm in my late forties still doing this. Um, You know, I hit all three of the big things that kind of ding in the music industry that it's like, I'm a woman, I'm a woman of color and, you know, I can be aged out. Those are the things that yeah. that kind of ring. And, you know, I, I don't want that to be something that these younger women that are coming up ever experience because it's it's been tough for doing this, like, you know, for 20 plus years, 23 years. It's hard. Um, and so, you know, I I've offered myself for advocation and mentoring. I think that, you know, I, I really enjoy speaking with um, young women coming up and hearing about the challenges that they have, but then also hearing about their successes and trying to amplify that. I think that mm-hmm. for me, I'd love to focus on the positive because I think that there's, it can only affect what I'm doing too. I get inspired by some of these young women about what they're doing. I'm like, wow, if, like they've got the gumption to be doing that. I should still be doing it. I'm here. I'm working. I'm, I feel successful. I like what I'm doing. Other people seem to like it too. Mm-hmm. Well, keep pushing. Um, very similar with C- um, She Said So. I think that it's an organization that is um, much more about networking and building bridges and um, aligning women through the industry that, um, you know, and also exposing new talent and, and giving them opportunities and, you know, um, taking seats at at, at at the table, it's really just important to make sure that women know that those opportunities opportunities are there and that obstacles can be overcome and that, you know, building together gets you farther than trying to struggle along. And I, I don't mind somebody stepping on my shoulders to get to the, the big goal. Yeah. Tell me what some of the major obstacles are out there still for women and, and especially women of color. You know, I think that... Um, 
the, the, the things that I have had to deal with, I think that, you know, when I step into many a room or I, <laughs> these days, when I pop onto a Zoom call, mm-hmm. um, I may not present as what many people think that I think, you know, as a person who knows multi-genres of music, I know background on many things in the industry. Um, for many folks um, at many of the big tables, I don't represent or I don't seem to be the package that they that they expect. You know, for a lot of years, people assumed that I only worked in, as they call it in the industry, urban music. That I and you know, I would say that you know that's I'm not a a, a main resource in hip hop. I'm not a main resource in this. You know, there was a lot of times where I was automatically assumed to be somebody's. Um, assistant or their um, intern or I'm there that's as... Way, that's way more just, insulting. Yeah, but you, you hear all sorts <laughs> well, of things. Well, I don't know. You and, tell you me. Know? I just like on the surface. It's, that's just, it's, like, it, they it's both wild. Are, they, both, they both are massive assumptions. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a lot, but <laughs> yeah. you, you get a lot of them. Um, she's, she's wearing a Levon Helm shirt, by the way. I mean, it's kind of wild. And I mean, that's the whole thing that it's like, I was very lucky that I, I know a lot of music across a lot of genres yeah, and I would be yeah. in conversations and people would want to shut me down. I'm like, no, I, I know what I'm talking about yeah. and I know how to, to, to broach this. You know, one of the newer things as a person who is now in her later forties, mm-hmm. the, the ageism thing is starting to become uh, yeah. a little bit more apparent that um I hadn't, didn't really realize it, but you know, a lot more opportunities to do things don't come across your desk anymore. It's, and you know, mm. people kind of look to you for certain things or, or they don't, or, you know, this is maybe, I, I get very worried and I hope that, you know, there are, aren't obstacles for that I have to get past to climb. Um, I'm, I'm seeing a lot more women that are older kind of doing these things. But I mean, you know, I used to always talk about when I was at NPR with some of my colleagues that, this generation of like rock, rock icons, like women like Stevie Nicks and Tina Turner and Dolly Parton, you know, Dolly Who's been Parton. In the news, yeah. yeah, I mean, this is the first generation of like women that are like 60 plus that are still rocking out and on stages and like, if not 70, vital. Plus. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's that just hasn't been there in the industry. There seems to be an aging out period where either women are expected to stop working because of families or you know what I'm you're not going to the shows every night like you used to like you're not at shows seven nights a week and you're going less so you got to let somebody else like pick that up so there's barriers all around but I think that with these orgs we're kind of stepping in and being like you know we could be as vital and as active and and as relevant relevant as we want to be yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll weigh on on the ageism stuff all day long. But <laughs> um, what are you? What what would you tell? Like, just a, a couple of bullet points to a woman of color that is in the industry today to um, help them and give them some solid advice as to how they might avoid some of the obstacles or. Um, in their way. You know, I almost say lean into it. Um, Hmm. I've always, I I think lean into your difference. I think that bringing different perspectives and different exposures 
these days is actually very fruitful and right, very right. beneficial. That's a, that's a great. That's a great point. It's like I, yes, I am who I am, and this is why it's a good thing. Yeah, I mean, when I was doing this, um, I would go to things, and you know, I was like kind of the rock and roll, or kind of like the gothy, or the 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 kind of the weirdo chick at a lot of events. And, you know, there were some events in the industry where I stuck out like a sore throat. People just didn't know what to make of me. But I felt that that was my calling card, that people knew, oh, that's the girl that is always at the rock shows or always at the, like, the dance clubs. And she knows this. And people people remembered me from that. Like, with networking, my face became visible. I say always lean into stuff like that. If you Hmm. know um, K-pop, and you're a little brown girl and you're at the shows like you know what lean into that like be the person that becomes the expert on that and 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 dial into it i i just think that don't limit yourself and don't let people categorize you it's a lot easier now to kind of force a lot of these companies and orgs to pr- prove or kind of show their inclusiveness um don't shy away from it. I think that, you know, everyone has to kind of get on board with this now. Like yeah. the train isn't stopping. It's not even just a matter of like us pushing it through. Um, it, it's rolling on its own. I think that the world is ready for different perspectives. Absolutely. I think people are seeing that being global and having a global perspective and knowing more and, you know, um, people want to discover about the globe and the world that we live in, yeah. like lean into it that. It can only be an asset to be different. Yeah. Or to be perceived as different in, in, in one way or the other, whatever that is. 100%. Yeah, yeah. What about the, at the executive level in that rarefied air that you operate in <laughs> um, from, a, uh, from a woman uh, and, a, and a, especially a woman of color perspective? What are, what are you seeing uh, in terms of like glass ceiling or are we even using that term anymore? Or what's the representation up there and how do you see that potentially changing and what are some of the challenges? You know, um, just to say, and I'm not even being like gassing up the company, I am extraordinarily lucky um, to be working at a company like Sonos. Um, They really have taken on the challenge of working for our diversity and inclusiveness. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we actually kind of make a bigger effort, I think, than many of the companies I talk with friends out there. And people are like, like this idea of letting our employee resource groups right. have their own radio <laughs> They're stations. like, you do like, what? <laughs> yeah. P- friends of mine just can't get it. They're like, really? The employees do that? And they don't like, man, no. Like, I think that our, you know, our C-suite and I think our executive teams understand that allowing employees to speak in their own voice and and see themselves represented and see their stories represented is super mm-hmm. important. Mm-hmm. Um for me, I've been really excited and and was really heartened that my team understood that for me it was a priority and it was going to happen no matter what that we were going to have a very inclusive radio station. Um when I set it down, I mean again giving a little bit more of the secret sauce. This is really secret sauce. Um I told them that it was a priority for me that for any of the content that we create for the station, that 50% of the um, content was going to be from either female voices or um, BIPOC voices Mm -hmm. and BIPOC new voices. We want to give that platform um, 
for people to have their voices heard. And we've stuck to that, if not exceeded it. I look at our kind of our show run and, you know, for many of them, I would say probably we're over 60, 70 percent women um, are represented and high on the 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 voices of color. Um, You know, you know, when I worked on speaking and and creating a show for um, the black experience on Sonos Radio, for me, it was uh, absolutely important that a woman lead that because, you know, typically a lot of those voices come from men. Same with rock. Our rock show is led by a woman. Um, We have two shows that are led um, about women in the music industry. um, And, you know, they're pulling the same sort of bookings that everyone else is doing out there. It's just absolutely having that rare, like you mentioned, that rarefied air, that um, really rare seat at the table. I've been able to to kind of make those decisions and try and open the door to let other people in. Yeah. It's a priority to me because I wish somebody had done that for me. Yeah, well, I'm really glad that you're there. And I'm glad that you agree with what the corporate philosophy is there and that they're really pushing to represent the groups that are yeah. typically have, have typically, unfortunately, been underrepresented. But yeah. what are you seeing with your peers across the music industry in in other areas? Um, you know, in, in other companies or other sectors of the music industry in terms of women of color? Um, it's interesting. That's a real, I'm really glad you brought this up. You know, one of the things that we discuss um, a lot is that it's interesting to see the transition of a lot of really talented journalists of color mm-hmm. are now making um, their way to streaming platforms. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting to me. I'm noticing that companies like Netflix and Amazon are really um, scooping up amazing um, talent of color. Um, I have friends over at Netflix that are telling me they're making the effort. They're walking the walk. It may be a slow walk, but they are walking the walk. Um, I think that that's really interesting to hear that. Um, in the music industry, um, it is still slow from what I'm seeing that, um, mm. you know, there are many more um, women of color that are in the C-suite and are getting those bigger executive level um, chairs, but it is slow. Hmm. Um, what to what do you attribute that? I mean, and I only I asked think... that because you <laughs> brought up streaming services mm-hmm. and that they're making a little bit more progress from what you're seeing. I think it's storytelling. You know, I I feel like just to keep on the Netflix train, Netflix has really made a commitment to telling diverse stories you know Mm. they have their own division that covers nothing but um black stories and it's like not only just the western view they are getting stories from africa and you know the middle and like you know looking at middle eastern stories and looking at the latino market and i mean it sounds a little bit of like what you're doing at sono so maybe there's a trend in what you're doing is you're you know you're starting to build that awareness perhaps i mean definitely most definitely not perhaps yeah i think it's really important i think that People want to see themselves represented, and we've covered a lot of this stuff. I mean, it it makes no sense that there's tons of young, talented directors, content creators, musicians that are are asking – they've been asking for years, how come I'm not getting the play? You look at my numbers on 
different platforms like TikTok or like I'm putting out my own indie videos and I'm doing this on YouTube. How come I'm not represented on the bigger playing field? And I think that that is opening up once you start seeing these numbers of what some of these folks can do. Mm. I mean, an interesting one is that um, woman, um, she's a performer, uh, Pink Panthers. She was making like massive, uh, massive change on TikTok. And now she sold, she sold out her tour. I heard in like 30 minutes, like mm. um, I tried getting tickets and they were gone. And I was like, Oh wow. Like um, to the <laughs> point to call that, in a favor now. <laughs> I mean, uh, she's now headlining um, Primavera, like in LA oh, wow. this, um, this fall. Yeah. And I mean, this is coming from somebody that was just making one minute songs on TikTok. Mm. She's just like blowing it out of the water. Same with Billie Eilish, same with, um, there's so many like Megan YouTube Stallion creators was, that, was doing that, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I think that that's an interesting realm. One that's still concerning to me. And I, I'm glad that this has kind of been picked up on, you know, there's kind of like a whole meme about this right now is about the ageism in, um, in pop and, and a lot of popular music that, you just don't see like mature people making this music. Like I, I love this meme about like, um, why don't we see people that look like Phil Collins? Like we want, <laughs> we want pop music made by men that look like Russian me- mechanics. I'm like, this is fantastic. And <sighs> I think that that is, it's funny, but it's true. It's kind of like, you know, we're, we're not letting artists mature and develop bodies of music anymore. It's like, I feel like some of these artists are, that's the reason that like many of them are putting out like two or three albums a year. They're just working to put it out before like they're literally put on a shelf. Um, what I really love is when younger artists are bringing into their own world, younger, very popular. I think like Harry Styles, for example, there's a mm-hmm. connection with Stevie Nicks and Absolutely. feeling like they're being mentored by older artists. I'm sure you could think of many more examples than that, but just one of those where, yeah, let's, uh, if you're a younger artist, honor the legacy. Honor those yeah. that have come before you. <laughs> it's, and I mean, the same thing. I think that, you know, somebody like it. Yeah. You and and, and recognize that they're still vital and still making great music. Sorry. <laughs> no, I think you're right. I think that like Elton John is great. He's yeah. another one that's yeah. like yeah. getting involved yeah. with like younger yeah. artists. Well, and kind also of... the older artists need to kind of like work backwards too. I mean, Elton John I went and did like, uh, you know, did a podcast and brings Phoebe Bridgers on and brings other artists on and Aaron Lee Tashjian, who's a fantastic Nashville artist, was like overjoyed. He was like beside himself. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that's um, that's really important, and that works both ways. That works with ageism and bring makes the older artists uh, more visible to to everyone of any age, right? I mean, yeah. I don't think my 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 daughter, who's a massive Harry Styles fan, probably would. I mean, she'd know who Philip Blue and Mac are and Stevie Nicks because of me. Yeah. But now they're it's relevant. Now we can talk about Fleetwood Mac, and she sends me memes where Mick Fleetwood is posing in like Harry Styles uh, makeup stuff yeah. or whatever that. What, mm-hmm. What's it? Yeah, I just she said sent me that the other day. I'm like, you know, that's Mick Fleetwood, right? She's like, yeah, Dad, of course I do. I'm like, okay, yeah, cool. <laughs> I mean, and yeah, there, I hope- there's thousands of those examples. Yeah, that's one thing that I. But I would love to see an artist be given a chance to mature and. You know, I think that it'll be interesting to see, like, I mean, I think maybe she's too big to fail, but I'd love to see, like, 
what an artist like Beyonce is going to do when she's 55, 60, something like that. I mean, Mm. what does, I mean, Jay-Z being like a 50 or 60 year old rapper look like? I mean, some of these folks. Well, um, it it speaks to the fan base as well and the fan base growing old with that artist and staying mm -hmm. dedicated to that artist and not just being, you know, assholes and like not liking an artist (laughs) because they're kind of reaching later on in their career to do something that's different. I mean, Mm -hmm. stay with that. You know, I I don't know that that's all, that's that's a whole other thing. Yeah. <laughs> right. I know. We'll see yeah, how yeah, it goes. Yeah. I mean, that's I, I, I worry about that, but I love that meme when it went around about like, yeah, Phil Collins, like we right. need more Phil Collinses in the pop game. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, this was great, Saida. You're doing such amazing stuff. And um oh. I really applaud your work at Sonos and I'm glad that you uh you stopped by to give me a little bit more perspective on what's going on there. I feel like I learned so much from you. Uh thank you so much. This was really, really fun. Um get to talk about a little stuff, a little bit more stuff that I used to. And then, uh, yeah, we could have that separate episode about, uh, um, African rock when you're ready. Yeah. Let let's do know. that. We'll do that. We'll do that. Yeah. We'll bring, uh, we'll bring one of the guys on board or something like that. How's so your, fr- how's your French? Um, <laughs> 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 it's, it's horrible. Let's, 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 let's figure out when we, when, when the Italian rock world blows Ooh. up, then I can, I speak, I speak Italian. So, but that's nice. never going to happen for so yeah. many different reasons. Italy is just, <laughs> they love their own music <laughs> for the most part. I know nothing about it. You will have to school me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, thanks so much for being here, Said. It was a total pleasure to learn more about you and, and hear your, your very unique and amazing story. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks. Bye. Okay. Thanks again for being here for this episode uh, with Saida Blunt of Sonos. Really had a great time talking to Saida. She's so easy to talk to, and she's such a incredible source of music information. I really appreciated that. And of course, uh, she's a fellow college radio alum, and I loved uh, I loved thinking back on my time, uh, my brief time, <clears throat> as you heard during that uh, interview, my brief time as a radio DJ at uh, KCSB FM at UC Santa Barbara, where I went many years ago. But uh, I love what... I love what Saeed is doing at Sonos Radio. Um, she talked about doing some of the deeper dives into music, into other areas of of music, uh, like music supervision, for example, which I always find fascinating. I find myself putting on uh, on Shazam uh, and listening to the streaming shows and, and trying to understand what the music is and and how that all gets put together. I think that is uh, that's really super interesting and in how Saida talked about this thoughtful. Uh, discovery and curation for Sonos Radio. I really admire what Syed is doing in um, using her own, the human resources, the individuals that work at Sonos to get input into various playlists and various directions that she wants to go to. And I really love what she's doing uh, in diversity uh, with the various Sonos channels. For example, we talked about Black At and Pride At and Latin X At and all the other international channels that they have as well. Uh, I really love what she's doing in that arena. And of course, Sonos is attempting to differentiate itself from the other streaming platforms that uh, focus really on the artist and having all the songs out there. But Sonos is taking a different tact. And uh, and I, I've listened to it quite a bit. I really enjoy it. I'm a big Sonos fan of their hardware. 
I'm not an audiophile, but uh, I do use their system for my home theater at home, and I end up listening just to music on Sonos all the time. I've hooked it up all, ar- all around my house, and uh, uh, it's just really wonderful and to know that there's a additional level of content that's being run by such a dynamic and awesome uh, person such as Saida is, uh, is really cool. I love what she's doing in nonprofits and uh, in the organizations that promote um, uh, music, uh, promote women in the music industry, uh, especially Saida being a black woman in the industry. I think this is very important and I love what she's doing. Uh, you should check out the work that we, uh, we are moving the needle is doing as well as, uh, she said. So, uh, it's just, uh, it's just really great work. I love Saida's spirit. I love what she does. And she's just such an incredible, um, fountain of musical knowledge. It's really admirable. And I just love her. That was really great. And uh, I hope everyone enjoyed that. Thanks again for being here for this episode of Road Case. Uh, We got tons of great guests coming up in the next weeks and months to come. So stay tuned to those. Uh, If you subscribe to, uh, well, if you follow us on Instagram, we're at at Road Case Pod. Uh, you can also, uh, you'll see the when new guests come up and when new episodes come up. Uh, it's a really great way to stay in touch with Roadcase. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite listening platform as well. Thanks again for your support. Thanks for being here for this episode. And I want to send a very special thank you to Saida Blunt of Sonos for being here on this episode of Roadcase. Thanks again so much for listening. And I'd like to encourage everyone to get involved with Roadcase. You can do so in a number of different ways. You can email me at info at roadcasepod.com with questions, comments, and even suggestions for guests. Or you can follow us on the socials, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're at Roadcase Pod. And we have a YouTube channel called Roadcase Podcast. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite listening platform. And if you could please rate and review the podcast while you're there, that would be great. So I want to thank Waltzer for this awesome theme music that we have. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening to Roadcase. We have a lot of great episodes coming up, so I'll see you on down the road. Mm